So uh, we're in the, the, the book of Acts. It is essentially like the, the sequel to the Gospels. If, uh, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four different accounts of Jesus' life. He wrote basically four different people wrote a biography on Jesus. One of those guys was a guy named Luke. Luke was a scientist and a physician. So he did a very investigative study of Jesus' life. He was paid by a guy named Theopolis, a really rich Greek man who paid Luke to spend years going and investigating Jesus' life. So you're talking about Luke literally went and sat down with Mary, Jesus' mother, and said, tell me about the day Jesus was born. And then tell me about the day Jesus died and literally captured the whole thing and put it into the gospel, the the good news according to Luke about Jesus' life. And then Luke was so intrigued by all that, he decided to write kind of a follow-up story, which would be like the sequel. So Jesus part two, where Jesus is now sent his followers, 11 uh, that were left over, the the disciples that went and are are in the process of changing the entire world. And Luke captures their story as well. It starts in Acts chapter one, which is a story of Jesus and his time. He's resurrected. He comes back to life, spends 40 days with his, his, his friends on earth, kind of giving them the last, last charge, kind of a, an idea, a plan, some directions, and he gets 40 more days with them, and he ascends into heaven, that's Acts chapter 1, and then it ends in Acts chapter 28 with Paul being persecuted again in a jail um, in, in Rome, and so we've been walking through that. Uh, um, just to catch you up to speed, here's kind of what's happened. Uh, Jesus uh, instructs 11 people to go change the world. 11 turn to 12. They pick up a 12th one literally by drawing straws. And then after that, they, they go from 12 to about 120. 120 to, you know, several hundred to a couple thousand to 5,000. These are all Jews that have converted, like already had their own religion. They had this idea that God was the God of the, the Hebrew folks, the God of Jacob and Abraham, but not the God who, who had sent Jesus or the Messiah had actually showed up. And so many of these folks converted to to Christianity, so there's about 5,000. And then at these moments, Stephen and other guys start going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the outermost parts of the earth. And this, um, the, the, the growth that's happening is just outrageous and exponential. Thousands upon thousands of people every day were choosing to sacrifice, choosing to give up their, their comfort zones, give up what they thought was their plan and the, their purpose, and instead said, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna surrender everything we have and chase after Jesus, because we believe he actually was the guy who lived and then died and came back to life and, and forgave us of our sins. And so that's where we are in Acts chapter 10. So most of what's happened at this point has all been to religious people. So imagine it this way. It would be like, um, it would be like if uh, in, in today's generation, if basically there'd been a lot of people who are really good at following the rules, you know, like, or at least pretending to follow the rules. You grew up in kind of, this is kind of my background, a, kind of a fundamental Baptist background. That's my not good or bad. It's just kind of where, where I came from in, in the deal. Um, and it's a very religious setting. You tucked in your shirt, you parted your hair. You, if you're fighting with your spouse in the car, the minute you got out, you put on your smile and said everything's good, and you just lived in this world that you just pretended everything was good because you knew that the goal wasn't to to be good, but to look good. You had all this religious expectation. And so it would be like Jesus showing up and really changing a bunch of really religious folks, like a bunch of people who kind of knew all the Bible, knew all the books in order. You know, there's 66 of them, all those things, knew the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. Like people who were religious, like had a, some understanding or a pretty good understanding of all things biblical, right? 
um, and knew about Father Abraham and his many sons, you know, sang the Zacchaeus song, had all that deal, worked or went to vacation Bible school. It'd be like God showing up and doing something radical in a bunch of religious people's lives, okay? That was kind of step one. But then what happened is then he started showing up and people started taking that good news, these religious folks, and started taking it to people who were clueless about those things. They're like, I'm not sure if God exists or not. It doesn't matter to me, whatever. Doesn't really change the fact that I got to pay my mortgage or I got to party on Friday night or I got to pay my taxes or cheat on my taxes or, or, you know, uh, be a family man or cheat on my family, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. Those things aren't applicable to me. And so all these folks that just were not necessarily anti-God, but just ignorant or just didn't really care, didn't really consider it. And so, first of all, there was this big movement into religious people. Now, all of a sudden, it was to all these people that we'd call irreligious or, you know, pagans. Not necessarily pagans because they were thugs or bad, but pagans as in they didn't really follow the, the rules of a, of a, of a God or, or a Hebrew God or whatever. And so now, all of a sudden, God, through these disciples, are showing up to the middle of people who just had no clue he existed. And some incredible things are about to happen. Um, the way that we're going to go about this today is um, we're going to start at the end. I'm going to read the end of uh, the gospel, uh, Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read the end, then we'll work our way backwards. It'd be very similar to a lot of literary movements. They, you know, it's like you start with the end of the book, then you know, here's the end of the story, or like the movies that do this. Start at the end and go back to the beginning and work your way back to the end. It's kind of like that. So we're going to go end beginning, middle, because there's some things I just want to cover real quick on, on the backside, and then we'll get to it. So this is Acts chapter 10. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version and starting in verse 44. It'll be up here above my head, but I'll try to read clearly as well. So this is Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Peter is now in this room with both religious people, Jews that become Christians, and irreligious people, pagans, Gentiles, people that were not seen as Israelites. They were, they were mixed breeds or different breeds. They weren't pure breeds. They had no pedigree. These people all in the same room, and this is what happens. While Peter was still saying these things, he's been preaching, you're going to see what he says in a little while, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the religious people, because they followed the, the rules, circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit, something we've been covering for the last nine weeks. Literally, it's, there's three parts of God. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually talks about this and says, hey, John 14, he says, I'm going to give you another the same as myself, meaning you're going to get me in the form of the power of the same power that conquered the grave is now going to live with you. It means another the same or a counselor. So this Holy Spirit, this like weird, creepy part of, of the, the God world that creeps some of us out, right? This Holy Spirit has come into this place and give them, like the same thing we just sang about, just gave them some, some supernatural power, some things going on. That's what it says. For they were here, oh, that's what it says. The Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Now pay attention to this. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked them to remain for a few days. Okay? So here's what we have. Jesus or Peter in a room talking to irreligious religious people. And something weird happens. Okay? Like something creepy happens. And these people land in this place. And all of a sudden what it says in the Bible. And this is a, a gray area. That's why I want to cover it for us as a, as a church. Um, uh, where it says that people started speaking in tongues. Okay? I, I don't know your background. So we're just going to cover them all. 
For some of you, this, this is creepy to you, right? Because you've, you, well, I was talking to our staff. Um, most of our, our staff grew up more of in a, a Baptist, fundamental, you know, Southern Baptist background where you didn't really deal much with the gifts of the Spirit, right? And I can remember the first time that I, I went to a, it was a Church of God church, not good, not bad, just as a, a kind of a, a Pentecostal church in Dalton. My mom was teaching at uh, a private school that was affiliated with it. And so once a year, they had this big commissioning of the teachers. So we all went, right? And I remember sitting there, right? And I remember sitting in the middle of the Saturday night service that went on for like four and a half hours. I'm like, man, I should have stuck a sandwich in my pocket. Cause I was, and so like I was sitting there and I was listening to the preacher and then they're singing. And all of a sudden, I kid you not, not and I'm not poking fun at all. This is, I mean, I just want to let you know what happened. Uh, um, I, I, I should, let me just preface it with this. It's a long service. I drink lots of water beforehand, Okay. The pews weren't padded. They were just wood, which helps a little bit for the rest of the story. Um, and so I'm sitting there, and they're singing, and I don't know the songs, but there's people down front, and they're waving flags, and I'm just confused because, uh, you know, I grew up in a church, I think I told you this, where, like, if you lifted your hand this high, like, you heard someone, like, lean over and say, get her third row, take her out, you know, like that kind of deal. And they'd come and be like, ma'am, you got to come with us. She's like, I didn't even raise my hands above my shoulders. And they're like, that's too much, lady. That's too much, Okay. And so, like, that was the environment I grew up in with the earpieces and the, yeah. Um, and so, like, this lady starts speaking in a, in a language I didn't recognize. I mean, I'd taken a couple of years of, of Spanish, but it didn't sound anything like that or anything I understood. And it just got completely silent, this lady speaking in, in tongues, right? And then it went from there to just dead silence, and some other guy stood up and, and kind of shared what it was she was thinking. And I just... I was just confused because I'm like, all of a sudden, like I'm sitting here and across the room, there's this older lady who just starts screaming in some dialect I've never heard. And then someone else who kind of stands up and, and, and explains to it. And some of you, like that's your, that's your background. That's very normal for you. It wasn't normal for me. And so I don't, and some of you, that's really creepy to you, right? Some of you are like, oh man, I wish this church was more like that. And others of you are like, wow, I'm glad that I've never experienced that in this deal, right? I mean, so there's, we, we, we have these different tensions. And so I just want to cover kind of, um, first of all, some, some, different, some different beliefs about the Holy Spirit. And then we'll, we'll work our way back to seeing everything else that happens um, in there. And, um, and so here's kind of, here's, kind of some, some, here's how I grew up, okay? Um, it would be called, uh, what's called a cessationalism. You don't have to write it down. It doesn't really matter. Um, it really means that, that, um, that uh, a lot of people, a lot of scholars, pastors, mostly from more of a, a very conservative, fundamental world, believe that, um, believe that speaking in tongues ceased, okay, cessationalism means it ceased in the first century. Yeah, that was really good for the apostles, and someone will say, it's because they all, had, they all spoke different languages, you have Gentiles, you have Jews, and so the, the, the God, the Holy Spirit used that just in those moments to communicate to everyone, but after the first century, it just ceased, was it doesn't happen anymore. You don't talk about it. You, you know, that, that's just weird. People who do that are, are crazy. They don't think logically or reasonably. I mean, that's kind of, that one's having, nope, that just, that just happened once. We don't, we don't talk about it anymore. We just ignore that part of it. It just ceased. It's called a cessationist. I mean, it really is a, a belief that some people have. Not a biblical belief, but a belief that some people have, okay? Uh, like in terms of, that's what some people believe just happened and just ceased, okay? So that's one end. That's a very far extreme. Now on the other, there's the side that, I, that is kind of classified as this. It's called like charismania, okay? And here's what those folks kind of believe. And I'm, I'm, that term is not like, a, a, like a, a, a seminary term like cessationalism is. But um, uh, the charismania is kind of this idea that the only way that you actually, that we can know, or the only way that you can believe or understand the only way that you can actually have God in your life is if you speak in tongues. 
speaking in tongues, like some language that we don't understand, don't, some of us never experienced. Like that speaking in tongues is what means that you have Jesus in your life. That's, that is the manifestation or the, like the, what happens, the, the fruits of when you ask Jesus in your life and Jesus becomes real in your life. Some of you have been told that. And some of you are like, well, I guess I'm not a Christian because I keep trying to, you know, to, to speak this language and, and, and I can't. And for most of my life, I spent a lot of time thinking that, um, that speaking of tongues was just a, some crazy thing that irrational people did. That's what I thought, because I grew up in an environment that just completely, um, completely said that it, that doesn't exist anymore. In fact, I remember watching, a, I would not recommend this, this movie, and I'm, I'm not recommending it, but I saw, well, I saw more than a clip. But uh, there's a clip of a, of a movie called um, uh, Borat. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I wouldn't laugh because people will judge you for it because it's not a movie that you should, you should tell people you watch in church. Um, but Borat is a, a movie by Sasha Baron Cohen who pretends to be this guy from a, from a foreign country who comes over here. And he goes into like this Pentecostal revival, right? And it's like he's filming it. It's like nobody knows that he's playing pretend and they're videotaping this whole documentary from this guy who's from the UK but says he's from someplace in the Middle East. And he shows up in this Pentecostal revival and there's all this stuff going on, people in the front, and they're praying and getting smacked on the forehead, and they're falling down, and people are throwing blankets on them, and all sorts of other things. And Borat comes up and does all this stuff, and there's this scene where Borat's praying at the altar, completely fake, right? And he's just making all these mumbo-jumbo things, and then he's like, well, he's not yet, and this guy kept talking in his ear, saying, let that tongue go, keep talking, keep, like all this different thing, and I'm like, man, like, it just creeped me out, and they're like, oh, there it is, that... That's my excuse. That's why I know this can't be real because here's someone that's trying to manufacture. And that is, that's kind of the, the, the gray area for me when it comes to speaking in tongues. I promise we'll resolve it, okay? And I, and I was going to do this. And I was, going to, I was actually in the middle of this deal. Going to have uh, Drew. I'd have Drew because it, it would have been fun for Drew. Drew just to stand up and just start speaking in gibberish. Like crazy gibberish. I'm not kidding. In the middle of this message because just to, to prove this weird point. So just like in the middle of it, everybody just stop and look at him. And he's like, I was going to get him to rip his shirt off. Not all the way off, just so you can see family, the tattoo across his chest. Um, <laughs> hey, Drew, I have a good idea. Let's go tattoo something on your chest. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so I was going to have him do some gibberish. And then I was going to be silent. So I was going to have Jared stand up and say this. What Drew just said from the Lord is that every single one of you should give Josh $100. Yeah, right? None of you would have believed it, right? But then there comes the gray area. All of a sudden, I just got to manufacture a way to make money. That's what I'm, I'm not saying that's where, where it is. I'm saying that's the gray area that some of us have grown up in. Like, no, no, no. You're playing at my emotions. You're trying to make me feel weird about this. You're trying to, trying to speak on behalf of God. You're trying to manipulate the deal. You're trying to convince me of something that, that you don't have the power to convince me of. And so we just live in this place where, so you have, the, you have on one end these people that say it didn't exist at all. And you have these other people that say that's the only way you, you can prove you're a part of God's ministry or prove that you're a Christian is that you, you do that, right? Um, Mark Driscoll, who's a pastor of Marsh Hill Church in Seattle, says this. And he says this is about his church. And I think it's a a fairly good um, descriptor. And he says this. He says that he thinks the church should be charismatics with a seatbelt. That's what he says, charismatics with a seatbelt. The way that I would say that is charismatics without the crazy. 
Okay. Now it's not mean or nice. It's just, you know, because Paul was very clear in some, some areas of, Hey, look, the goal was not to distract people from Jesus. And some of the things that you could do in the middle of the seal, we talk about, it's not how you worship it's who you worship, but that doesn't mean you get to punch the guy next to you in the belly. Cause that's a distraction, you know? Like, so there are some, some things that are distractions. Paul says, look, the, the goal was to make it simple for people to connect to God. In fact, in Acts 15, he says, we don't think it seems to us that the Holy Spirit is saying we shouldn't make it more difficult than it already is to come to Christ, right? And so there's this, this goal that we don't want to overcomplicate or distract from it, but at the same time, to, to live in a world where we can explain everything means we're God and God isn't, you know? Like to live in a world where we get to describe it all and explain it all means that somehow, somehow then, that if I can explain to you how God works and I can explain to you exactly how to make God move, then all of a sudden, not, God's not God. He's some robot or some computer program. And so to say that God is completely reasonable and everything makes reasonable and logical sense is, is a very dangerous deal. And so this is where the tension comes, right? Is the tension is, I understand that there's something supernatural that happens. So I, I, I want to believe, and I know that God's spirit can move, right? And for me, here's, here's kind of what the journey's been. The journey's been this. You know, like I used to really believe there's no way those things didn't exist. Like there's just no way. That's just weird. And then I started meeting some people who love Jesus. I'm talking about we're madly in love with Jesus, who are much better people than I was, who are very genuine, who are very sincere and very caring who had this kind of connection with God, this prayer language or this ability or this deal to speak in tongues. So it was like, I don't think it's because of that. It's hard for me to say, no, no, it doesn't exist. But for me personally, it's just never been something that I've experienced. For a long time, it was like, okay, then it transitioned to, I believe it's real, but I'm just not going to ask for it. It's like, don't ask about it. Don't tell about it. If it happens, great. That was happening in my closet. I'll stay quiet, whatever that deal is. I mean, that's kind of the experience of it. And it's like, you know, but here's where I've kind of ended up. As I read through the book of Acts, right, and, and follow me here, I'm a, I believe God's word is perfect, okay? Yeah, we might seem like a very um, progressive church, and so that word moderate or liberal comes out in the deal. Con- we're very conservative when it comes to taking God's word at face value and believing it really is the only thing that matters. And I read this, I'm like, God, I see your spirit move, and I don't know how to make that happen, but I know it's supposed to happen. God, I know that we're missing something, and I'm not sure where the, the deal is in terms of speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues. I just know that I want, we want more of your spirit in our lives. And so, you know, I'm not, I don't even, I don't, I don't know what to qualify our church as. To be honest with you, I don't know what would happen if one of you um, stood up and started speaking in tongues or gibberish right now. I have no idea. I mean, I'd be inclined to say this is not the place. Hey, this is, this is not the moment. If, if God is saying something to you that he wants you to say, would you have him confirm that to me? Because I'm not there yet. I mean, I'd be really honest about it. Like, I'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm not sure what to do with this. I'm kind of glad that we haven't had the experience. I'd just be honest with you because I, I really don't know the approach there. But what I do know is this. I know that there's more Holy Spirit available to us that's supposed to change this world than that we have access to more of that than we've ever leveraged in our in our that ever, right? You know, like I've I heard that we only use like ten percent or eight percent of our brain or something crazy like that. I don't even think we use that percentage in terms of God's power. Because he says in John fourteen that the same like he would give us his spirit. And he says, and you whatever you ask in my name, the spirit will do. And then it says, and you will do even greater things than I did. I believe those things. And so it's like God, I, I want that. We want that how 
do we get there? And I don't have the answer. I'm not trying to resolve all that for you today. I just want us to cover it because it's some, some pretty critical stuff. And so this is what happens at the end of a pretty crazy deal, okay? And so there's this, this conversation that we're going to continue to have. I don't know that we resolve it because it's not something you resolve. It's a tension that we manage. It's, okay, God, how do we make sure we're not too reasonable or too, you know, too mundane? And nope, we do this. This is cause effect. We run the system through a computer program. Nope, we do three songs, a message, and one more song, pass an offering back, and we go home. So, I mean, we have, I don't know how much of it we're supposed to run as a function versus how much of it is supposed to be this supernatural deal that says, okay, God, you move in whatever way you see fit. And there's this, this weird tension. Here's why. Because reason tells me I don't deserve to talk to God, right? Reason tells me I'm broken and messy. Reason tells me that. My head can tell you that. So reason on that side is like, well, God, I know that I don't have any right to even speak on your behalf or speak to you or be accepted by you or be your son and daughter. Reasonably, I know how messy I am. I know how perfect you are. But there's a supernatural process that says, but Jesus still made it possible, right? There's still something emotionally, some supernatural deal that says, even though I shouldn't, you made it possible. Even though I shouldn't, you make it possible. Reason tells me that there's no way this world could just exist, right? I mean, like, so, like even if you want to say two things banging together, reason tells me, I get that, I get all that. But at some point, the, there were things that existed. However it came to where we are now, I don't know. But at some point, there is nothing, and nothing turned into something, right? There, there, my reason tells me that's the case. So something supernatural had to happen to the deal. So I'm not saying we throw out the supernatural and don't throw out the reason. I'm just saying there's somewhere a tension in the middle of it. And in scripture today, that's what we see. We see this tension of a, of a, of a Gentile, a guy who's very irreligious, knows nothing about God, nothing about anything. He just knows that there's supposed to be a better world than there is. There's a Gentile. And there's Peter, who was a Jew, who became a Christian, who followed Jesus and walked with him and saw every single bit of it. So you got a reasonable, you got a passion, you got a man who ripped out a sword and cut off a guy's ear. you got another guy who just literally said, you know what, I give money to the poor because they need money. You know, it's just that simple. And you have these two guys collide in only a way that God could create. So to get to where we are with the Holy Spirit landing in this supernatural way, first you have two stories of two people and God goes about it in a pretty unique way. And I'm going to start reading that. This is Acts 10, verse 1. We're going to walk through most of this until we get to verse 43 pretty fast. So, um, uh, buckle up, I guess. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a Gentile, a, centuri- a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. So he's not a Jew, but he recognized that there's a creator. He talked to his creator, and he gave alms to the poor, meaning he, he was charitable, right? About the ninth hour of a day, as he clearly, uh, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner. Who is, his house is by the sea. I love this. Look, let me be clear. Julie has this, had this, I never knew him, but he lived in, uh, um, uh, Largo, Florida. And he had orange groves. That's what he did. He had this huge orange groves. And like, the man was addicted to the sun. Like, every day he would go out and lay nude on his roof, this really tall roof. And so, I just see this, and Simon, a tanner, you know, I just see Julie's great uncle laying there in like this little thong, like getting all leathered up. You know, that's not the tanner it's talking about, but anyway. Simon, a tanner, and it just pans to a guy by the sea, just all wrinkly in the white hair. Anyway, um, it's fun for me. Uh, uh, verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called to his, two of his servants and a devout soldier who, uh, who among those who... Uh, 
who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went on up onto the house top about the sixth hour. So here's what we have going on. You have this guy, a Gentile, not a religious man, knows that he's supposed to do the good, right thing, has good morals, all those things, trying to figure out life. All of a sudden, he has this vision, and he basically says, hey, look, I need you to send some of your guys to find this guy named Simon, also called Peter, different than Simon the Tanner. And, uh, you know, and so I need you to go find him. And he, God speaks clearly and audibly to this guy. And so Simon goes, or Cornelius goes and gets some people and sends them towards Simon and Joppa. Now, all of a sudden, the, the, the scene pans to now Peter, who is in Joppa, right? And he, he says this. He says, so now it's the sixth hour. This is what happened. Uh, uh, verse 10. And he became hungry. So he went on the ha- house up about the sixth hour. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And again, this is like this vision, like this trance, this daydream that he's having. Okay, And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So, hey, right, Peter, get up, go kill those animals, right? And that's what Peter says. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And so, if you have, yeah, again, it's showing his religious side. As a, as a Jew, you didn't eat pork. You didn't eat shellfish. I mean, there were some, some very critical rules about what you ate and didn't eat because it was, hey, these things are unclean. They're not healthy. They're not safe. They're not sanitary. So, just part of Jewish law, if you read all through the Levitical laws, all through Deuteronomy, all through Leviticus, you'll see these things happen over and over again. Don't eat those things. And so, Peter's like, no, 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 God, I don't eat pig. I don't eat those things. I can't have those things. They're not common or, or uh, they're common and unclean. And here's, here's God's response. Verse 16. This happened. All right, verse 15. And the voice came to him again. Uh, and the voice came, and there came a voice to him. Rise, Peter, go eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've not ever eaten anything that's common or unclean. Verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So this happened over and over again. No, God, I can't eat this. What God, hey, this is just because you call it common and clean. I've made it not those way. Okay. So verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So Peter's sitting there thinking, man, this is really confusing. And all of a sudden, these guys show up at the house while Peter's sitting on the rooftop. Right? And called out to whether Simon, who was called Peter, Peter was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the man and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason you're coming? So all of a sudden these guys show up. Peter just had this vision. He comes down and says, okay, I don't know you Gentiles, but what is it you're coming for? Right? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with him, and some of his brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So here, I want to make sure you understand what's going on here. So Peter's on a roof. This other guy was in a different city. The angel, God, shows up in some weird, crazy ways. And I would walk up to you and say, hey, look, here's the deal. Um, God would like for me to tell you such and such. Because I'm a pastor, you would, you would possibly, um, possibly believe me, which you shouldn't. 
really. I, I really don't think, I mean, maybe you should. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Um, but but if, if some stranger were to walk up to you and say, like, for example, if some guy were to come to me today and say, hey, um, God tells me that he would like for you to go take your shirt off and go jump in that, uh, the pool at your neighbor's house and do a belly flop. I'd be like, there's no way in the world. That's nuts. You're crazy. Like, what, what, what is it that you've been snorting? Is what I would say. You know, like, because in, in that moment, it's like, you mean some stranger spoke to you and said, and so this is what's happening. Some guy goes and says, I'm not sure what to happen, but God just spoke to me. I need to go to this other city. And so at one end, you got the crazy side happening all the way in, in Caesarea. And then you got a whole other crazy happening in Joppa. Two crazy things. And all of a sudden, they're colliding. And then all of a sudden, so they've come. Peter on a roof has come and said, okay, I guess I'll go to this because God spoke to me. God spoke to you. Let's see what happens. So he goes back to Caesarea. Again, I know this doesn't make much sense. But you're seeing a lot of hard work and a lot of craziness and a lot of things that are not coincidence happening for a very specific reason. This whole deal to, to, to get to one perfect statement that Jesus wants these guys to know and therefore wants us to know. But we're not there yet. Let's continue. And here's what it says. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expected them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me, listen to this, that I could not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent me? So Peter says, look, I, we're not supposed to be in this room. This is really weird. This is, this is not how it's supposed to go down. You know that as a, as a Jew, now I'm a Christian, but as a Jew, I'm not, supposed to, I'm not even supposed to associate with people of, of your type, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. But because of this deal, because of how it happened, I came without objection. So he says, look, what is it you want from me? So Peter's like, okay, I'm not sure what happened. I just know that somehow God's in the middle of this, so what is it you want, right? And this is what he says. And Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, there you go, by the sea. So I called Peter, wait, so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand. That God shows no partiality. In other words, look, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your pedigree, it doesn't matter your creed, it doesn't matter what you did last night. Truly understand. God does not show a preference based on your past. So we're all here. That's what he's saying. And we're all here. Somehow God orchestrated this really crazy thing between this guy and this guy, and all of a sudden we're here. Listen, I don't, for us, I don't know how we all ended up here. Okay, we're in the middle of nowhere. Some of you live in the middle of nowhere, or almost in the middle of nowhere. You're like, hey, I'm from Gore. Don't say that. It's still the middle of nowhere, right? You know that. Oh, I gotta go to Walmart. Okay, see you guys in about three hours. <laughs> you know, let me hop on my wagon. Yeah, mm-hmm. some of you still have your wagons. Um, and so, but we're in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how we ended up here. In the middle of a rainy day, in the middle of a mess. Some of you for the first time here. Some of you for the fiftieth, and you're like, ah, oh, I didn't really want to come. Some of you here. We're here for some reason. I can't explain it. I can't tell you how it was orchestrated. I can't tell you whether or not God is the one who got you here this morning. I can't tell you whether or not it was on your own power. I can't tell you what woke you up this morning. I can't tell you why you did what you did last night. I don't. I don't know any of those things. I have no clue how we ended up here. Here's all I know: is we're here. 
right? We're here, we're wet, we're sitting here, we're in the middle of this room and we're wondering if it's going to leak. And here we are sitting here and we're like, what's the point of all this, right? So Peter's in the same place. Hey, here's what, I don't know how we ended up here, but obviously we're here for a reason. God shows no partiality. So hey, it doesn't matter if you've ever, ever recited the Bible verse ever in your life or if you know everything about the Bible. It does not matter in this moment. That's not what this is about. Obviously we're all here, so there's got to be some reason for it, right? I mean, if we could just be open to the idea that maybe God literally has something, not just for them in that moment, that he orchestrated that right now in this day. I don't know why you came. I don't know why your granddaughter invited you. I don't know why your, you know, your, your uncle came with you. I have no clue about any of it. I just know we're all here. So the question is, why are we here? That's what Peter's saying. So here's what he says. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So this is Peter's statement. Okay, let me preach to you. If you're all here, let me tell you what I need to say. He is Lord of all. And you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. So Peter's about to tell all these guys about Jesus, okay? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So here's the deal. Hey, we're all, we all can experience this. We all feel oppression. We all wonder if there's more to this. There are nights we lay down our head and we feel sick to our stomach and we're not even sure why. And we feel empty and we feel broken and we don't even understand the whole purpose of the world. There are days that we spend all day with our kids and we're like, man, I know I'm not supposed to enjoy this, but at the end of the day, you're still wore out, right? You just feel this oppression. And he's like, hey, here's the deal. Jesus showed up to heal all those who were being oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So Peter said to him, we we were with him. We saw these things happen. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. So he's saying, look, you've heard the news. Jesus, they killed him, right? We've heard the news. You read about it in the books, not just the Bible, but in other works, other books, other deals. Jesus, he was living. He came and he rose dead people to life, blind people to see, lame people walk. He literally spit in some, some dirt once, turned it mud, put it on somebody's eyes and said, Abraka, Jesus. And all of a sudden he started seeing. I mean, those things happened. Like all that really happened. You know the stories. We know the stories. And then they killed him, right? And you've heard that. He died. And then you also heard that he came back to life. Listen, I don't know. If, I mean, this is for us. Peter couldn't have said this because this is all after, all after the fact. Joseph, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, Muhammad, Gandhi, Abraham, Moses, they all got graves. They all got graves. They all have a final resting spot. They were all put in the ground. Peter saying, hey, look, everybody else, everybody else, they all got graves. Like they all went, they were put in the ground and never came back up. Jesus Jesus doesn't have a grave. In fact, if you go over into the Middle East, you're like, we think this was the place that Jesus rented out for a couple of days, but we're not even sure. We think this is a place. Jesus has no grave, right? We all know those things. We know them from historical facts. Not necessarily this. He's saying, listen, all of us are here. This is the Jesus who, who, was a, who, who fought for your oppression. Jesus who saved you, who saved himself, who defeated death so that we could have life. That Jesus. And he says, hey, this is what I want you to hear. So again, all this is happening for a very specific reason. And we are witnesses. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Like Peter's saying, we literally ate fish with him for breakfast. I don't know why Jesus wanted to have fish for breakfast. It doesn't make sense to me either. But he wanted fish for breakfast, so we ate fish for breakfast. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And finally, verse 43, 
the whole purpose of this whole talk, this whole time, this whole, this whole deal. Peter said, look, Cornelius, you were here. You sent these people to Joppa to get me. I came back. We've, we've gone a long journey. It started with just two people and some, some crazy God speaking to us in some irrational ways. And all of a sudden, we're sitting in a room filled with some people. And you want to know what God wants to say, and here it is. Verse 43. We're all here. Battled the rain. Battled this deal. I broke my flip-flops. We're here. All for less than 15 words. Here it is. Verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. In other words, here, here's, what I, here's what it is. And if we were to declare what causes us the most pain and the most anxiety, and some of us is money, right? And then you wonder, man, should I have spent money a different way? Should I have saved it a different way? Should I have gone and did more school? Should I have done less school? Should I have paid attention to my trigonometry class? Whatever it is. We all kind of wonder those things, and we all walk back through the journey. We're like, man, if only we would have blank, then we wouldn't be here, right? Some of you, it's relationships. Man, if I just wouldn't have jumped into that relationship that day, then maybe I wouldn't be in this moment. Some of you are like, man, if I just wouldn't have chose that thing. Or some of you, it's not even your own fault. If such an, if so-and-so would not have done what they did to me in that moment, then all of a sudden, things would be okay today. Right? I mean, we all live in this, like this, this weird, messy deal of anxiety and oppression. And here's what, here's what Peter's saying. Listen, listen. I don't know how we ended up here. But here's all I want you to know. For all of us who believe in his name, will have forgiveness of sins. In other words, we'll be let go. Now, if you're wondering about what does that mean, because, you know, there are times that Jesus says, even, even, even the demons believe in me, but they don't follow me, right? What does it mean? What is it saying here when it says, believe in me? Um, I was watching... Last week, or not this past week, but the week before, I was on vacation with uh, Julie and her, or my in-laws, her family. And um, so they like to watch a lot of news channels. In fact, they're very, like, Julie's dad is very conservative, like a right-wing Republican. And so like uh, the, the TV station, I think, and it was all the Benghazi stuff going on, all sorts of stuff. So our, our, the, the TV just stayed on Fox News. Right, because you know uh, they didn't want it to be biased in any way, and so they're watching Fox News and um, uh, watching it. And there came all this information about what was going on in Ohio. Y'all familiar with what was happening in Ohio two weeks ago? Um, there was these three girls. They were abducted like ten years ago, and this guy named uh, Ariel uh, uh, Castro or something like that. He had he had abducted them and kept them in his basement. For 10 years. In fact, one of them, while he, she was in captivity, became pregnant with his child. And she gave birth while in captivity in a, in a, in a little plastic pool so it didn't make a mess. Right? I mean, that was the, the nastiness and like the absurdity of the world we live in, the evil and the oppression. Right? And so um, I, I was watching the news and I happened to see live, um, as they're doing it, 
there's a guy named Charles Ramsey. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Charles is the neighbor who is hilarious. I kid you not. Like, he's the guy who is there. And he, uh, they're interviewing him, and they've actually done some really good remixes of his interview. Like, with like 15 million views on YouTube. They're so fun, funny. There's one, I think you can Google Charles Ramsey dead giveaway. Can't show it here in church, but oh my goodness. It's so funny. And he said something, and he said this, and this is, um, Maybe it's racist or prejudiced. I don't, I don't really know. But he just said something that was pretty profound. And he said, um, so you know, was, you know when I knew something was wrong? Like, you know when it was a dead giveaway? He said this. He said, when a pretty white, little white girl jumps in the arms of a black man, it was a dead giveaway. And that's what he said. You know, just like that. And you got to understand, Charles, if y'all have ever seen Coming to America, Charles looks a lot like the preacher and the barber on that like, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's exactly what Charles looks like in this day. And so what he said is like, look, I, do, I didn't even know this girl. And all of a sudden she gets out and she literally just jumps in my arms. He's like, I knew something was wrong because I'm a stranger. You know, like complete stranger. I didn't know this little white girl. I had no clue. And she just jumped in my arms. So what he discovered in that moment was wherever, like in his arms, even though this makes no sense and pretty irrational for most of us, like I'd be like, I mean, I don't care if you're black or white. I don't, or Hispanic, I, I don't care at all. I don't want my daughter in your arms. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter to me. Uh, it, has nothing, it has nothing to do with what color you are. It has everything to do with that's my daughter. You better not touch her. You know what I'm saying? But here's the deal. So I don't want my daughter in any of your arms. Never. You know, like she stays in daddy's arms, right? Forever. Mine and she can hold a cat. You know, that's it. Because that's just what it's going to be like for us for the rest of our life. That's just how it works. But, you know, like for me, it's like Amelia's never got, like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't want, I don't want a, a stranger, her to ever run and jump in a stranger's arms, right? But for, for, for this little, this girl, Amanda Berry, in that stranger's arms was a lot safer place than where she came from. It makes no sense to me, right? But to her in that moment, she was locked up in a basement for 10 years. Any man on the outside is safer than where she was, right? In fact, it says that Amanda tried to talk the two other girls who were up on the other, uh, the other parts of the house to come out, and they wouldn't. They're like, no, 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 we'll just stay here. We won't risk it. We'll just stay in our captivity because we don't know what will happen if we get out. And so they go and get the police, and the police break down the doors and go in. And when they get in there, um, so they get in there, and it says that the, the, the two girls did the exact same thing. The two girls upstairs literally jump into the arms of the police. Again, it sounds really strange. I would never run and jump in a policeman's arms. I mean, maybe. I mean, I can't imagine a moment where that would make sense. Like if right now there's a policeman, hey, this is Johnny the policeman, and I just jog over there and jump in his arms and hold him, you're like, that makes no sense, right? Makes no sense to us. But in the middle of that moment, it makes perfect sense. Wherever, in their arms, makes a lot more sense than being captive where, where, where they were, Right? And so what, what Jesus is saying, or what Peter's saying about Jesus, he's saying, look, look, whoever believes in him will be forgiven of their sins. In other words, they'll be released from captivity. They'll be released from captivity. And so what it means to believe is they're saying, Jesus, I know you're over there on that side, and I believe it's better on there on that side than it is where I currently am. And I believe, God, I believe that's where I'm supposed to be. I believe I'm supposed to be there with you. I believe it's better than where I currently am. I don't like this captivity. I believe it's better to be over there with you. And I know the only way to get there is by your son. I believe it's better to be with you. And so, and I know the only way to get there is by your son. That's what it's saying when it says, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will be forgiven of their sins. In Galatians 5, it says this. It says, um, for freedom, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. For freedom. 
Christ set us free. You'd think that, I mean, yeah, it makes perfect sense, but it, saying, hey, the, the goal is, you're not supposed to be captive anymore. So he's, Peter in this moment is saying, hey, look, all I want you to know is this. All the oppression we feel, all the battle, all those things, has everything to do with the captivity that you've been in. Galatians 5 says, for freedom Christ set you free. And then it goes on to say, so why would you go back into that slavery? Why would you go back into that slavery? So Peter, this whole message and this whole moment was all about, listen, if you just believe in Christ, he'll release you from every bit of captivity that you ever go in. It's like in that moment what he did was he walked in and he said, Jesus, like these guys are all in handcuffs and chains figuratively and he just kind of pulled out a key and said, believe in Jesus. You don't have to live in that captivity anymore. You know, I was thinking about that, and it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You know, I used to think about people who worshipped, I don't know, charismatically or Pentecostally or whatever you want to say, like with their hands raised. And I used to think, I used to think two things. Wow, one, they're really crazy, or two, they're really attention starved. Really, that's what I believe for so long in my life. It's like, why is that even a part of it? Can't we just rationally say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did? But when you see that you're in captivity and you were released from that captivity, and you're in captivity and you're released from that, it just makes sense that you just sprint and jump into Jesus' arms, no matter how weird that seems to the world around you. So I can't explain to you every charismatic moment that ever happened. I can't explain to you why some people blow in people's foreheads. I, I don't know all the details. What I do know is when you see people on the stage respond in worship, it's because of this. They were once captive to their sin, to their addiction, and Jesus freed them from that. So they just can't, like there's just no way they can keep their hands in their pocket. See, when they, when they were freed from those things, there's just no way that they could, they could respond to that. In fact, in, when, when Jesus says it's for freedom, or Paul writes this in Galatians, it's for freedom that Paul, or that Christ set us free. He's actually saying two very specific things. One is, God died so you could live. One, right? God freed you from that, but it's not just that. For freedom, Christ set you free. Have you ever seen one of those moments on any Disney movie where animals are held captive? And you think of it, they're all the same in this, okay? Animals are captive. They're in their little um, kennels, right? And they're all, you know, Dalmatians, all dogs go to heaven, fox and hound, whatever. They're all, you know, um, they're all like, oh, we're captive. What are we going to do? And what happens, right? Finally, one of them gets free. What does that animal do every time? Goes and he opens all the other cages, doesn't he? Every time, every kid knows this. It's for freedom that he was set free. Not just for his freedom, but for the freedom of those around him, right? It's for freedom that that animal was set free. And so when Christ is saying it's for our freedom that he set us free, it's not just about how we raise our hands in worship. It literally is how we respond during the week or during the day to the fact that Christ set us free. So therefore, we need to go help other captives be set free as well. Which is good news because we have a lot going on in that area. I met with uh, Michael Dane and I went and met with uh, Teresa Ray, who's the resource development director in Chattooga County, to, to say, you know, we know that there's a lot of kids in captivity. We know that there's a lot of kids without moms or dads. We know there's a lot of stuff going on and we don't know how to help, but you tell us how to help. 
we're in. Because it's for freedom Christ set us free. So it's not just about us singing songs and feeling good and getting goosebumps on Sundays. It's about us actually doing something because Christ forgave us of our sins, right? So God released us from captivity so we could go help others be released from captivity, right? And she, she explained several things. One, there's a guy, kid right now, he's 14 years old. His name's Austin McCoy. Um, Austin has a, a traumatic brain injury. When he was a little kid, a, a TV dropped on his head. He can't sit still always. He's in a he's in a self-contained classroom, but he's learning. He's 14 years old. He's two hours or so away because uh, he didn't have a mom or dad. Austin had two brothers that have both been adopted in Chattooga County, and right now Austin McCoy is the only kid within Chattooga County's jurisdiction that has no placement, meaning he doesn't have a mom and dad anymore. And he doesn't have a forever mom or dad. He has no one in this deal. And she said to me, she said, we need to find him a mom and dad. And it's just so messed up. As I'm like, you mean there are, you mean that we've been set free and there are people that live in that captivity, a 14-year-old named Austin who really feels like he's a mutt? Like he has no pedigree, that no one loves him because it's not his fault a TV fell on his head. And Austin has no mom or dad. And I looked her straight in the face and said, well, find her, find him one. I don't know how. Like, I, I really don't. But I don't want to be a church who sings and doesn't do something about it. Austin has no mom or dad. Austin was given a horrible, a horrible deck of cards. And you're telling me there's hundreds and thousands of people who say that freedom set them free in this community. And yet Austin has no mom or dad. I was hearing another story um, about, uh, I was telling Julie this, um, about Teresa was looking, trying to find, uh, this one's a little easier, she's like, oh, get, good, this one's like 14, there's no puberty, this one, this one will make you feel, oh, that one, that one actually made you feel a little dirty, probably, like, oh, I should, oh, I shouldn't do that. I mean, I, so this one, I will follow up with this one, because this will make you feel a little better in it, um, or I don't know if it, what it will make you feel, um, I'm not trying to make you feel any emotion, I just want you to understand the weight of where we are. Um, I, um, this week uh, in Chattooga County, uh, uh, Teresa was calling because there was a, a little kid in Catoosa County who was two and a half weeks old. And the director of DFACS was calling Chattooga County saying, look, Teresa, can you help us find a placement? Because we have no moms or dads who can watch this kid because a two and a half week old always gets up in the middle of the night. And you have to find child care. It's a little different. Most people want people like five or six or eight because they go to school during the day because most parents have both have jobs. So like, we don't even know what we're going to do. And literally the DFACS director was calling Teresa saying, look, they, they found they found a placement eventually. But she was saying, I need you to help us find someone because right now this two and a half week old is sitting in my office in a carrier. And it's like, for freedom, Christ has set us free, right? The reason we launched the, this recovery program, Crave, every Saturday night at 7, it is so worth your time to be in the middle of it, um, is because Christ has set us free. So it makes sense that we help people who are being held captive to addictions or all sorts of other mess. I'm convinced that if we knew everything about everybody's story, we would look at them and treat them a lot differently than we do. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And so, like, how do we do those things? And so here's some really, uh, some, some tangible things that are going to happen. One, the other thing that Teresa said that's really important for what's going on there is, you know, they got to make sure that their homes stay maintained if you're a foster parent. So we're like, hey, look, we'll, 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 you call us if we need wheelchair ramps, see if we can do anything. And she said, well, I just feel so bad. I feel so bad calling you guys because I'm so afraid that I'm asking too much. And I looked her straight in the eyes and said, she said, I feel like we're taking advantage of you. 
And I looked her straight in the eyes and I said, no, 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 the church has been taking advantage of you. No, 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 you haven't taken advantage of us. In fact, in James it says we're supposed to take care of orphans and widows and we're just not doing our job. If anything, we're taking advantage of you. And so I looked her in the eyes and I made her commit. Will we be your first call for any need you have? And we will track down some. Right now they need someone to teach that, that, that first aid and also uh, swimming safety. If you have any of that course, we, we need your help. Because any foster parent has a pool, can't place kids in their home because they have to have training within the first year. And so some of those things are just immediate needs. The other thing she said is that foster parents just feel like they and their kids, like the foster kids, are like are like black sheep. She said they just don't feel loved or cared for. And I, and so she said, here's how you can help. And this is what we're doing. Um, in June, we're hosting at, for Chattooga County, um, the entire foster parent banquet, which is just going to be a big banquet. I don't know if we'll have it here. We may have it at, at, at my house and a little farm out in downtown Somerville. Where we're literally going to cook them the most incredible food, give them the most incredible entertainment, and just for a couple of hours, love them like crazy. Just to say, thank you for doing the job we should be doing. And so we're going to be in the middle of that. And next week, when I was telling you that we have some other things, we have very abbreviated service, 10.30 to 11. 11 o'clock, we're going to hand you flyers that talk about wrongchild.com, which is our approach to helping abused and you know sexually trafficked kids in this deal. Um, we're going to give you information about defects because they need a lot of help or, with recruitment. And then we're also going to give you information about Crave, and we're going to, we're going to fill these two cities, these two counties, this area up with this information so that, no, so that everyone knows that there's someone who, who cares and is going to fight for them. So 10, 30 to 11, we're going to pray, worship briefly, and then we're going to send you out for an hour. Some of you are just going to go to Tuga. Some of you go back to Floyd. And we're just going to make sure that there's information everywhere. And some of us are just going to grab some trash rags and start cleaning up the streets. Because it, we're going to be, because Christ set us free. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. And so we're going to be a church that says if we're going to have a worship service, the service part won't just happen in this deal. So we'd love for you to be here. 10, 30, 11, we'll worship. 11 to 12, we will go love on our community. And then at 12 o'clock, we'll come here and hang out as a family and celebrate how good God's been to us. So here's the deal. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is... There's freedom. And so I don't, my concern with this message, especially at the end, with just the, the oppression and darkness of this world, is that it would be hard for us to respond to God because we see so much hurt and so much messiness. But my prayer has been this. My prayer is that we would realize that we were once captive. And the very first thing Jesus wants us to do is believe in him, which is acknowledging that he is the one who paid that price for us. So it would just make sense that we would just worship him. That we would just say, Jesus, you are enough and you are good. And uh, our praise is our prescription to the pain that's in this world. It says, praise the Lord, all my soul. Praise the Lord, all my soul and all my inmost being. Praise his name. This is Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. In other words, for, and forget not that he paid the price for you to be released from captivity. For so some of you, it's just a reminder that you need to respond as like, Jesus, you released us. For some of you, this is the first step of saying, God, I've never, I've never walked out of the cage. I'm a lot like those girls that were upstairs saying, look, I, I, I know that this isn't a good place, but I don't want to, I'm so afraid of what's out there. Jesus says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. In other words, hey, I'm here. 
And if you want to open the door, I'll come in and I'll die and I will be in a relationship with you. I will, I will be with you. And some of you, that's just what you need to do. So if you would, would you all just stand with me as we get ready to sing the song? And I just, just want to give some of you a step. For some of you, for the very first time, is literally saying, okay, I want to believe in Jesus. How do, I, how do I make that official? And there is no fancy word you say. But if you just close your eyes for a second and sit still. For those of you who just like, God, I just want to make that step. I want to, I want to say, I know that it's better over there than it is here. And I believe that Jesus is the way to get there. I just want to, I want to tell you what that looks like. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord saved. Period. Whoever says, Jesus, you're Lord. In other words, Jesus, you're in charge. Jesus, you're the boss. Jesus, you're the one in control. Whoever does that is saved. And so um, some of you just need to call on the name of the Lord. And so I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them just like right here, right now, in your head, to God. Just say, God, say it right now, in your head. Say, God, I, I've been a mess. I've lived in oppression. And I've been in a cage. And God, I just want you to forgive me for not trusting you. Would you forgive me for trying to chase my own plan instead of yours? Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you. Jesus, I believe that you're the hope. And I believe that you're the only option for a good life on this earth and an eternal life with my creator. I believe in you. And I thank you for giving me my sins. Help me live a life that honors you and points other people towards you. Man, if, if that prayer was just prayed, something crazy is happening. And, and you know, it's not goosebumps. It may not feel so spectacular. It may not feel like something new just happened. But the Bible says that when when you trust in Jesus, Jesus says he gives you another, which means just like him. So the Holy Spirit literally is just come and will walk every moment of life with you. And I just personally want to celebrate that. If you just prayed that prayer, and with people's eyes still closed or open, it doesn't matter. Um, if you just prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand up wherever you are? Just lift it up. Other folks, you can look around. It's okay. We, 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 we peek here. You peek anyway. You can put them down. Let me pray for you real quick. Jesus, um, you say it's for freedom that you set us free. Help us believe that. Like, help us live in that. God, for the folks who just said, man, I just want to trust you. Like, I want to trust you with my life. I, I want to believe in you. I want to have forgiveness. God, would you allow them to walk in the freedom of being released from that captivity? And God, would you send them to be in the middle of freeing others? God, you just you just got them out of a cage. Would you oh, would you open their eyes, God, for all of us? Would you allow us to see the other cages of the doors that need to be opened? It's for freedom, you set us free. So Jesus, we don't want to go back into that bondage or slavery. We want to live a life that's free in you. You're good, Jesus, and you are you're enough. You're more than enough. I love you. We love you, and we would love to worship you. We pray these things in your name.